Well, good morning, sir. How was your weekend? Not too bad. Uh, not too bad at all. I went to the Phillies game on Saturday. Oh, how was that? It was a nice win. It was good. Uh, it was a birthday gift from, I turned 34 a uh, couple weeks ago. Sorry to hear uh, so my parents got me some some tickets to go see the Phillies play the Rockies, and uh, it was a great game. Nick Castellanos had his two, first two home runs of the year. Uh, got a hot dog. So I was actually playing against, I was playing against Castellanos <clears throat> in fantasy, and that asshole went off on Saturday. Uh, completely screwed me for the week. Really pissed me off. I, uh, I can't say I am sorry about that because I really wanted them to win. And uh, they've, been, they've been really just doing horribly before this Rocky series. But I think the Rocky series is enough to put them over the top, honestly. Not the top, but put them back on track to start not sucking for the rest of the season. Hoping. Well, we can hope. I mean, they're almost back at 500, right? They're 12 and 13, yep. And they play Seattle tonight. Seattle's got a pretty tough uh, pitching rotation, but we'll see what happens. Well, fingers uh, crossed for you. Um, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit of a Phillies fan, but I always say I root for my fantasy baseball team over the Phillies. Um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm you're one of those guys, huh? Yeah, uh, see where your allegiances lie. Um, yeah. I, I just don't. I love the statistics behind it. I mean, we'll talk fantasy baseball all the time on this thing, but just baseball for me, it never did it. It's the same as basketball. I've always been a hockey and uh, football guy. Well, unfortunately for for you and and me, because I'm a big hockey fan, we don't have much to root for in the next few years. Oh no, we're so screwed. Um, I mean, as long yeah. as the as long as Comcast is owning the Flyers, I think we're fucked. There's just nothing we're going to be able to do about it. I uh, saw there's a there's a group that's looking to buy the team. Did you see that? No. Who? Which group? So it's uh, David Boreanaz. You know him. No shit. Yeah, he went to Malvern, dude. Yeah, he went to Malvern. He was uh, Angel on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer show and did a bunch of other acting. Him. So uh, my wife I believe... is, uh, we started watching Bones uh, over oh, yeah, the last that... year or so. Yeah, with um, what's her name? Zoe Desch. No, no, no. Uh, the the real famous Deschanel sister, I guess. What the hell? Emily. Is her name? Emily Deschanel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't so... know there was another one. Um, yeah. Um, so Boreanaz and then some other billionaire, I think, is the main the main backer. But it'll be those two. And I think I saw Kimo Timonen and Peter Forsberg were involved somehow as well. That would be so cool to get Timonen involved in the ownership. I loved him. Yeah. Uh, Forsberg, need- too. I mean, those guys, you know, Forsberg wasn't there for a long time, but he made a huge impact. And eventually he was like the key trade piece that started that like mid to late 2000s like powerhouse team that was good for a few years yeah but nothing compared to what you and i grew up with in the 90s oh no well you know those get that Nah, that was just a dynasty back then and it's cool that forsberg will be involved but i mean i don't know even as a huge flyers fan i always felt like you know forsberg's he's an avalanche guy right he's he's, he's colorado through and through um but that's cool. I but, didn't know that they were doing something there. Um, the interesting, the interesting stat there, I guess, we're speaking about the early Flyers teams. Did you know that Peter Forsberg was drafted that year and then subsequently traded for Eric Lindros? For Lindros, I know, which I'm not yeah. upset about because, and I still hold this to be true. I will argue till I'm blue in the face, until I'm dead, with anybody that Eric Lindros would have gone down as one of the certainly top ten, if not top five players in history if he didn't have as many injuries as he did. I mean, if you look at what he did on a year-by-year basis, I mean, 
not many people could compete. I mean, year I'm by with year, you. nobody could compare to Super Mario. Lemieux is oh. just light years ahead of even Gretzky on a year-by-year basis. But dear God, Lindros could have been something really special if he didn't get so screwed. I'm with you. Built like a tank, skated like a jet, scored. He did everything. Yeah, he did. Um, I mean, it's. Just, I mean, that's kind of the hockey player I used to be. I mean, when I was young, I used to try to emulate Lindros. I mean, I was always, I was always a little bit bigger, a little bit faster than most of the people I play hockey against. But I, I mean, I was horrible with a stick. Uh, I had not bad hand-eye coordination, but I mean, nowhere near what I needed to be an upper echelon player. Um, but I mean, that actually is probably a good way to segue into who our next guest will be. I mean, I think. I mean, you probably remember when you and I were back in high school, I took physical fitness just ridiculously crazy. I would do two a days. I mean, I worked out unbelievably constantly, I think. I mean, at one point I put on a good chunk of weight, like maybe freshman, sophomore year. And then I just went on this complete binge. Well, over the last couple of years, that went the wayside. And I think you probably saw this a few weeks ago. Um, I made a post on Facebook that I had hired a trainer, a personal trainer. And him and I were going to be working together because I was weighing roughly around 225 pounds. I'm now down to about 220. And we were going to try together to lose 40 pounds, get back to my hockey playing weight, which was about 185 pounds back then, um, just so I could get back in shape. And I made a bet that if I couldn't do that by the end of the year, anybody that liked and followed me on Twitter, I would give them a Bitcoin if I didn't get to that. Uh, just a way to self-motivate, I suppose. Um, so Oliver, uh, he's got a bit of a social media following, really nice guy. Uh, he's British, so obviously unbelievably polite about everything. And I invited him on the podcast so he can basically yell at me uh, for not doing well uh, on the dieting over the last week or two. So this is actually going to be an interesting one. Oh, boy. What do you, what's, your, uh, what's your poison? What's killing you? Um, well, honestly, it was my brother's goddamn bachelor party. Um, so, so I mean, literally I started, poisoning yourself with alcohol. <laughs> well, how long have you known me? I mean, alcohol is my poison of choice, right? Uh, no. So, I mean, I was actually doing pretty good. I mean, like I, I said like, okay, I'm starting at like 225. The truth of it is I was actually really starting closer to 230. Um, and honestly, that's because I started in Europe where all of the scales are in kilograms and I fucked up the conversion from kilograms to pounds. And then I get to the States and find out that I was actually fatter than I originally thought I was. Um, Americans will just never learn the metric system, I suppose. So I actually got down to about 219, I think at one point uh, before the bachelor party. And the day I came back from the bachelor party, I weighed 226. So over the course of three or four Whoa. days and well, well, did I tell you what we did at the bachelor party? No, no. So, I mean, I'm the best man in my brother's wedding and we were talking like, okay, what do we want to do for a bachelor party? Like, do we, do we really want to go to Vegas? Do we want to go to AC? Um, I mean, we're in our thirties now. We're not like in our twenties where everyone gets excited about going to a goddamn strip club. Right. So we were like, why don't we just go golfing with the boys over the weekend? So we loaded everyone up in a car. Uh, we took Donzi and Rita's big truck, actually. And we went to Pinehurst, uh, the big golf wow. resort that the PGA yeah. played at down in North Carolina. Um, so we played, oh God, I think I, I did the math and we did 99 holes of golf in four days. It was insane. 
Um, but naturally, you're drinking beer the whole time. I think we probably averaged uh, per person anywhere between 20 to 25 beers per day, uh, especially the days that we played 36 holes. So it was uh, not exactly conducive um, to one's diet. So Oliver's probably going to be yelling at me pretty significantly. I was going to say, you, you tell him that he's probably going to have a stroke live on the show. I, he, I, uh, I know that so beer's not... I haven't not... told him yet. I told him there was a bachelor oh, party and, and the fallout wasn't very good, but I haven't told him that we're basically back to ground zero after... I mean, we were doing really well working for a month together, but yeah, one weekend and... I mean, that's what you don't realize. Like I did really well dieting. I did well with my exercise, um, did three days a week working out with him, exactly the program we designed and stood, uh, basically went away from alcohol. Like we did, um, we said, okay, obviously I have to wine and dine for work every once in a while. So if you go to a dinner and you have two or three glasses of wine, it's not the end of the world. You also have a cheat day. So Sunday would be the cheat day. And maybe I'd have a bottle of wine or something like that with dinner with family and friends. But you don't realize how much that one weekend just completely railroads any progress you make over that month. So that was actually shocking. But oh, well, we're going to go uh, tell Oliver how much I fucked that up now and uh, see what he has to say. <laughs> you treat, it, treat it like a public service announcement, letting everybody know that. You can, you know, work your ass off, but if you have three days in a row of just binge drinking and eating wings, you're uh, you're screwed. Well, so it was that, and um, I mean, so we actually went out one uh, place really nice for dinner, a nice steakhouse, which was perfect. I mean, pure protein, right? Um, but then the other two nights, uh, because like we would get back from the golf course at like eight thirty, nine o'clock, um, basically as soon as the sun went down. Um, I mean. Nobody felt like going out to dinner. Nobody felt like doing anything other than ordering Papa John's, which is not very conducive to one's diet as well. I'm not even sure that considered food. You know what? Like if you're sober, there's no excuse for ever having Papa John's. But sometimes when you're really pissed drunk, nothing is better than Papa John's or Domino's or Pizza Hut. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. uh, I've had fairly a bit. I've had quite a few nights okay, and then many, subsequent mornings. How many have you had? Uh, a lot. I've woken up next to uh, half an empty box of or half a box of Papa John's of my a couple times in my life. Yeah, I mean that's a bigger regret than waking up next to some women, unfortunately. Um, no, so no, anyway, no, you yeah. wake up and then you get free pizza. So I mean, it's pretty cool either way. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So let's go uh, bring Oliver on and yeah, I'll uh, see what we can do about getting this confession out the door. Good luck. All right. So perfect. Um, So we're here today. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, anybody that's been following me on uh, the Twitter or on social media, I think you've seen that over the last month or so, um, or maybe it was about a month ago, I guess. Um, I announced that I was, well, I mean, over the last couple of years, I've certainly packed on the pounds. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to be really in shape. Um, I mean, Matt probably remembers from when we were in high school, I used to be just a gym fucking nut, I guess. Um, I guess getting married will do it to you, traveling as much as I do. And for the last two years, even during COVID, I was actually running two companies. Not that that's an excuse or anything like that, but I mean, hey, never got to the gym, didn't put the effort in on cardio whatsoever. And I mean, I really love whining and dining with like a 
double underline on the whining part. Um, and I decided it was time to kind of lose some weight, right? So earlier this year, um, I actually did a dry January, right? Um, I'd never really done one before. I've done a sober October. And to be honest, I didn't even make it the whole January. I think I made it to like Jan 28th, Jan 29th, something like that. But we're going to count it as a win nonetheless. It's because they don't rhyme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, they really need to come up with more months that rhyme with doing something sober, right? Um, so anyways, uh, just in that one month, I literally lost 10 pounds. I didn't change my diet. I didn't exercise once the entire month, but literally just cutting out the booze, lost 10 pounds. So I spent about a month or so doing all of this research because I felt like I was onto something like, okay, uh, I need to do a diet. I need to get an exercise plan. I don't know what the hell to do with an exercise plan. I mean, I average a flight like once a week. I'm constantly traveling between the US, Europe, Middle East, et cetera. And I looked at probably just about everything and I couldn't find anything that seemed like it would work for me. And that's when all of a sudden on my Twitter feed, and I'm convinced that Twitter's listening to me and following everything I'm doing on the internet, uh, all of a sudden this guy named Oliver starts popping up. Um, and Oliver, I mean, obviously, uh, would love for you to introduce yourself, but I mean, you're a, uh, personal trainer that specializes, or at least it seems like it is that you work with entrepreneurs and high performance individuals. I don't know if I consider myself high performance, but I work a lot, um, and really helping them achieve their weight loss and physical goals. That's right. Thank you for the intro, Pat. Yeah, so um, I've been helping Pat for the past... Oh, uh, did I take the words out of your mouth? <laughs> yeah, for the past couple of months, um, which has been great with his health. And yeah, like he said, I work with entrepreneurs and high performers, which basically means people that are pretty stressed, have lots of stuff going on and just want to make, I guess, sustainable changes to their health because you know like pat said you travel a lot internationally and domestically you want to wine and dine clients it's, i guess it's about finding an approach that works around that because you don't want to be a bodybuilder in the gym eating you know six meals a day and you know training like a meathead all the time you want to find something that's going to suit your lifestyle and i guess that's where i kind of specialize i mean i only really have time for one meal a day it's hard as, enough for me to find <laughs> time to say, actually get a lunch in let alone find time to actually sit down and have a dinner that isn't somehow entertaining in some capacity right um so i mean maybe you can tell us i mean a little bit about what you feel i mean what are the biggest challenges that some of the clients that you work with seemingly have like i know for instance from uh, my side obviously number one is uh the whining and dining and again really have to stress the whining. I love wine. Uh, number two is the travel. Uh, what are some of the other big issues that you're hearing from your clients? Yeah, I think those two are really important. Other than that, I would say stress and basically time management is, is a difficult one. So you tend to find with especially entrepreneurs, if they put off training, maybe in the morning, uh, what happens is later in the day, their motivation reduces a lot to want to go and train later in the day because they have to put out fires within the business. They have meetings and, you know, shit comes up as, a, as an entrepreneur. So trying to find actually the time to work out and the motivation to do it is is very difficult. Now you couple that with stress, right? So. 
guys have to close deals. They have to go through large amounts of stress in their day. They're really going to struggle to... Um, I mean, raise money because you're worried the company's not going to make payroll at the end of the month or something like well, that, right? Exactly, right? Uh, and like the priority is is the business and the health kind of falls back to, to the wayside. And once you kind of lose that habit for a few weeks, people can get really, really kind of demotivated and you kind of go into this downward spiral of, okay, well, I'm not trained today. Oh, fuck it, my diet's going to be bad. Fuck it, I'm just not going to sleep well fuck it i'm going to drink alcohol next thing you know you're about 30 to 40 pounds heavier right um and you you find yourself there and you're like shit i need someone like oliver now and this is where i come in right so um yeah it's uh it's a lot of tested that entirely like i mean for the last two years i mean what i was running two companies i was the ceo of both right Mm -hmm. and i mean by the time my day wound down let's call it eight nine ten o'clock I mean, I had zero motivation to go to the gym. Naturally, I had no time really during the day to do that whatsoever. Um, It was just so much easier to open a bottle of wine or pour a glass of whiskey, lie down in bed, watch Netflix for an hour or two. I mean, if we want to consider that quality time with the wife, why not? Um, But that was pretty much it at the end of the day, right? And that's six freaking days a week. I think it is difficult. I mean, I remember... I mean, so when I started my career, I was actually at uh, PwC. I was a CPA in my last life. And I mean, anybody that works in business, they know what working at the big four is like, right? You're 80 to 100 hours a week, nonstop, on the clock. I mean, we were going into the office on Sundays. They would bribe us by doing so because they were so generous to offer us a free breakfast, right? Um, And I remember in busy season, they always tell us like, okay, you can have three things basically in life, right? You can have a professional life, you can have a girlfriend, or you can have a hobby. During busy season, pick two. And that's all you're going to have time for, right? Now, naturally, you have to select one being your job, right? That's the professional life. You have to choose it. So then you're really picking like, okay, one hobby. And most people have multiple hobbies, or at least they have multiple things they love to do. One of them is probably the gym, right? Or, I mean, find a spouse, find a significant another, have a boyfriend, girlfriend or whatever, right? It's damn near impossible to find that time if you're in that type of an environment. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I have friends that work in um, similar space for kind of like the big four as well. And like the companies, they pay like your taxis, right? If you finish at a certain time. So if you work until like 10 p.m. at night, we'll pay for your taxi home, right? As a reward for working so long and giving up your life, which is um, yeah, a nice incentive, but I guess not conducive to health or maybe fulfillment. So I remember there was one audit engagement that I was on and we were working in downtown Philly. And it was it was one night and there was going to be a like a horrible snowstorm, right? And we were all planning on staying until the office until like midnight, basically anyway. And we had to get the audit completed. We were getting close to the deadline and they were basically like, okay, we realize there's a snowstorm. We realize you want to drive home before the snow gets bad, because by the time that you would normally leave, the roads are just going to be shit. You're not going to be able to get home. And they were like, okay, we will bribe you with a hotel if you stay over at the hotel that night and don't worry about driving home. And everyone was like, no, we're not going to do that. Like it it doesn't make sense. We're just going to drive home and we'll just work until one or two in the morning. And then they were like, okay, what if we offer you a hotel at the four seasons, which was like a block from the PwC. (laughs) We were like, Oh, okay. So we all went to the four seasons. Now what they didn't anticipate was when we went to the four seasons at like one or two in the morning, when we finally finished up our work for the day, we just went to absolute town on the bar there. Uh, it was actually a hell of a lot of fun. So we all walked into the office the next morning at like 8 a.m. drunk off our asses. Um, 
I hope nobody at PwC ends up watching this podcast, but it was actually <laughs> a hell of a lot of fun. So what do you think are some of the, so we kind of addressed the issues. I mean, what do you think are some of the resolutions that, or what are the resolutions you recommend to your clients to kind of address and fix those? Because I mean, like one of your biggest sticks and one of the things that really attracted me to potentially working with you was you don't have to do this crash dieting. You don't have mm -hmm. to, it can completely get rid of whining and dining. I mean, it is a part of the job, right? So what is it that makes working with you or makes your program special? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think the difference between my program and I guess what else is out there, we really do take a holistic approach. So it's not just about, hey, follow this strict diet and follow this workout plan. It's focusing on other areas of your life, such as your recovery, your sleep, and your lifestyle, to be honest, and, and how to integrate these things. And I'd say the two things that I really focus on are simplicity and consistency, right? So once you have a simple approach to doing something, it's very easy to follow, and that's going to make you more consistent. Because at the end of the day, fitness isn't really rocket science, right? You have to eat a certain in a certain way, and you have to do some exercise. And as long as you follow that in a good manner and you recover well, you're going to get good results. So one of the things I try and do is stick to like good practices for nutrition. So instead of being like, hey, you need to be super kind of strict when you go out, just focus, let's say, your first couple of meals on protein-based foods, which can be anything that you like. And then maybe in the evening, if you're going out to, you know, meet a client or entertain a client have a few more carbs have a couple of drinks but instead of having that the beer which is really high in calories and i know you like that stuff as well pat and the guinness uh trying to stick to something that is lowering calories like a spirit and uh, a diet soda and like just making these small changes throughout your day can really reduce your calories make sure you don't go overboard but still enjoy that kind of dinner out and lifestyle that you that you're accustomed to and I think that's, I mean, definitely something that really spoke to me because, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I love food. Um, food is one of my deep passions in life, I remember. So, like, for me over the last couple of years, one of the kind of releases, I guess, at the end of the day I found for myself is cooking. Um, I remember when I was young. So my father, uh, he actually was one of the heads of marketing at uh, Aramark. It's a company based out of Philadelphia. It's like one of the biggest food distributors on earth. Like they're, they do all the cafeteria food for like every major stadium in the world, every university, et cetera, right? And his whole thing was, okay, fine. If I'm going to be doing this marketing, I don't want to just sell a product. I want to know how that product is made. I want to actually be able to tangibly sell something because I know exactly what goes into it. So he ends up going and gets trained by all of these like freaking high-end Michelin star chefs, uh, kind of, I guess, to own his marketing craft, I suppose. And over that period of time, he becomes a phenomenal cook. I mean, my dad's cooking is amazing. Uh, my mom's cooking, not so much. Uh, she was more on the baker side. My dad's cooking was fantastic. <laughs> Um, but one of the things he kind of taught me when I was a kid, he was like, look, Pat, you're going to get married one day and you're going to piss off your wife. Um, so you're going to need to learn how to cook for yourself, uh, cause you don't know what's going to end up in that meal at the end of the day. So he taught me a whole bunch of things. So my big thing is now that I'm in Europe, like I come home at the end of the day, I cook a big meal for both my wife and myself. And then I'm back at work at seven or eight o'clock and I'm working through the evening. Right. But that was always kind of like the big release um, for me. And I mean, that was one of the things that really attracted me, I guess, to working with you because you don't take away every sort of like 
food that you could possibly come up with. And it's not just a pure, like a, a keto or like a pure protein, highly strict diet. And I think most people probably appreciate a bit of that flexibility because God knows I love getting in a pizza every once in a while. Yeah, absolutely, man. And typically what you find with people when they diet and what I've found is, you know, they go on a strict regime, they might drop 20 pounds, but they never keep that weight off because what happens is they then revert back to their old habits because they can't sustain going, you know, no meat or, you know, no carbs for a long period of time. Whereas what we try and do is be like, hey, look, these are the principles. Let's do this sustainably. It might take you a little bit longer to lose the weight. But you know when it's off, you're going to be able to keep it off because you've learned the principles. It's been sustainable for you. You can still enjoy pizza night on a Friday and drinks with your friends, you know, uh, a, w- a couple of weekends a month and get the results. And to me, that's kind of what I preach as well. Like I stay in pretty good shape year round. I still drink alcohol. I still eat pizza. I don't do any of this strict stuff. And um, I really enjoy that. Right. I think that kind of balance is is good for you and is, is fulfilling. Right. And I mean, <laughs> So I got a bit of a confession, but I mean, just over the last, <laughs> just over the last month, um, like the first month I've really worked with you. Um, I mean, I've really just learned that the hard way. I mean, remember I told you a few, uh, it was not this past weekend, the weekend prior to that, yeah. uh, it was my brother's bachelor party. Right. And I mean, when I, when you and I started working together, like we started saying it was like, okay, I was at 225 pounds. Like, I think that's like, I don't know. 102, 103 kilos. I learned later on, I did that math wrong. Um, I need to get a scale with pounds over here in Europe because it doesn't work for me (laughs) using the kilograms, right? Um, But I was probably more closer to 230, I guess. And in the first, I think like four weeks that we were working together, I was dropping two pounds a week. I was already down to 219 uh, going into that bachelor party. And I remember telling you in advance, like, okay, this is just going to be a complete shit show of a weekend, right? Um, And we didn't do anything bad. We went on a weekend golfing trip. But, I mean, we were not drinking or we were not sober any instant of that weekend. I mean, we would wake up at 8 or 9 in the morning. We'd start drinking. We would drink. I mean, we played a game that if you wanted a mulligan, uh, you had to chug a beer before you took the mulligan. And naturally that just is conducive to, you need more mulligans as the day goes on and you start hitting worse and worse shots because, well, hey, you're getting pretty drunk. Um, I weighed myself coming back from that weekend and I was back up over 225. So I think that really kind of speaks to how important it is to develop those sustainable goals. Because I mean, I was down almost 10 pounds in a month and just one weekend completely ruined it. Now, granted a week later, uh, and actually I weighed myself this morning. Um, I think I told you I was at 222 yesterday. I was actually at 220.1 this morning. So obviously we're well back on track, but it's difficult um, to like maintain that complete sustainable practice. Um, And I think people severely take that for granted. At least I learned my lesson in the first month. Absolutely, man, for sure. And one of the rules or mottos I have is like, uh, like, don't miss twice, right? So for example, if you have a bad weekend of, you know, going out drinking, make sure you go back to what you were doing that was successful on the Monday, because a lot of people would jump on the scale like you did and be like, oh, shit, I've gained all this weight. I'm just going to fuck it this week and, and not care. And then what happens is you go back down into that downward spiral. Whereas if you say to yourself, hey, look, I had my fun this weekend and get back on it right now, you're nearly back to, you know, where you were before with the loss of the water weight a little bit of extra 
fat that you've gained that will come off very quickly. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things that you just have to get back on once you have one of those weekends. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's really important to understand that. Um, so, I mean, that's obviously one of the biggest mistakes people make when they start a program like this, right? I mean, what are some of the other big mistakes or big misconceptions that you see that maybe people have um, with regards to kicking off a program like this? Yeah, definitely. So I think one of the biggest things is the focus on doing excessive cardio and not enough focus on diet and resistance training. So I think the conventional thought has it that, you know, hey, like I've, I've gained loads of weight, I'm going to run it off, right? And I think it can take like an hour to burn 800 calories, right? But it takes about 10 seconds to eat uh, 800 calories worth of cake, right? So you can see there that you're going to have to do a lot of running if you want to eat cake. Whereas if you get your diet in check and you know you make sure that that's good, you're not going to have to do as much cardio. Now the other benefit, see, I, think I remember of- my logic over the last two years. Like if I ever did get <laughs> to exercise one day, I was like, okay, great. I just ran for an hour. I can have a bottle of wine at night, and like that net difference really doesn't w- work off in the end. Yeah, you're completely right, and I think that's a area a lot of people kind of mistake themselves and get themselves into whereas a lot of the stuff that i kind of preach is hey look let's get your diet in check and let's also focus on resistance training because for most people and especially entrepreneurs that come to me their body types are very much they've gained quite a lot of weight uh, they've not been training and they want to build some muscle so they're kind of in this position where they're like oh shit i need more muscle and i need to lose body fat what should i do well the quickest route to get there is to actually focus on resistance training sort of three days a week um get up your lifts and focus on, on on strength and combine that with, you know, a decent high protein diet that is obviously calorie controlled, nothing too extreme and kind of just run with that sustainably for a good time. Now, if you do that for a good period of time, you're going to cut the body fat, you're going to, you know, get the, the muscle that you want, your body's going to start to change and you're going to start to feel more motivated. Whereas if you're doing hours and hours on the treadmill, you know, you spend, you know, three or four sessions a week doing, uh, you know, an hour of running, that's four hours out of your week as an entrepreneur, that's probably not optimal use of your time um, to do that. So that's why I really think that that resistance training combined with, you know, a good diet is probably a good way to go. And it's a big mistake I see people make when they start out. So, I mean, do you recommend much cardio to your clients? I mean, you and I actually really only started doing uh, some cardio this week. You can actually, you can probably tell my face is bright red. I got my Irish yeah. tan going on right now. Uh, that's because I actually just jumped off the Peloton uh, just before we jumped on this call. My hair is probably still wet from being in the shower. Um, but I mean, do you recommend much cardio at all? Or is it really a hyper focus on weight and resistance training? It's a really good question. So I actually am a big advocate of cardio because it's really good for long-term health. And I think one of the biggest factors that kind of determines your longevity is your lung capacity, right? And people with a good lung capacity tend to live longer. So doing cardio for your health is fantastic. But I think one of the big issues that, uh, and this is kind of where people kind of get it, get it, get it mixed up is it's not the be all and end all for fat loss, right? When you're looking at overall health, cardio is fantastic and you should play as much sports as you get older. You should improve your lung capacity and your VO2 max. But when you're looking at solely fat loss, it's not the priority. So I really like to start with kind of the lowest hanging fruit, get your diet and your resistance training in check. Once we've kind of done that after a few weeks or a month however long that takes introduce that cardio as well for the long-term health and that's actually going to be another accelerator that's going to help you continue to lose fat but i think it's really important to start with the foundations before you do that and i guess that's just my approach right other people have different approaches but um this seems to have been effective from from what i've done and kind of the way i do things 
So, I mean, from a diet perspective, um, I mean, obviously there's, I mean, God knows, 10,000 different schools of thought on what constitutes Mm. a healthy, proper diet. You have those that say like, okay, you should have a proper balanced diet. And I guess like if we're to base that off of 2000 calories, it's like, okay, have 50, 60 grams of fat and protein each day, have, I don't know, 100 or 200 grams of carbs or whatever it is, have that nice balance. Others will say, fuck the carbs, uh, get rid of them entirely. Um, others will say like, okay, you can have carbs, but make sure they're whole wheat or whole grain or anything that's like not processed. Others will say, okay, if you eat an animal, you're going to hell. <laughs> um, I, I'm definitely not in that camp. Um, so what like type of diet do you recommend for somebody that's like a middle-aged man like me that's looking to lose that weight? Yeah, for sure. So there's lots of different schools of thoughts, you're right. And it really is contextual dependent on the person as well. I think for the people that I work with and the guys that are listening that are going to maybe be entrepreneurs that might have gained that little bit of weight, most things that you change are going to be better than the heavily processed, heavily alcohol, heavily kind of like unhealthy Western diet that most people are consuming, right? So anything different is going to be an improvement for, for what most people are doing, to, to be completely honest. Well, that's right? not very um, uh, reassuring. <laughs> so everything <laughs> the opposite of what you've been doing. Just do that. The Western uh, diet, a.k.a. the American diet. The American diet. Yeah, you got it, Matt. So, oh God, you know what? It's um, the I, same way in Germany, too. Like, So if you're over here in really? Germany, like, there's just a freaking McDonald's on every corner. Now, the so isn't, isn't it like... Isn't the obesity like America number one, Germany number two in in the the charts? I swear to God, it's like a, yeah, it's I the U.S. So. and Germany Something are always similar. the two fattest countries in the world, and that's because Pat moved. Yeah, that's because I'm. <laughs> because I've been in... <laughs> Damn it! Uh, Ger- Ger- Germany has been climbing up the rankings lately. I see. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, going back to my point, I think uh, the way that I preach it is let's stick to a primarily whole foods diet. So what this means is foods that's kind of not processed and comes from the earth, right? So this could be meat, fish, eggs, vegetables, grains, and really kind of getting control of the portions of those. So trying to stick to primarily high protein is good. You know, 30 to 40% of, you know, your calories coming from that. Roughly around sort of 30% coming from uh carbohydrates because your body needs carbohydrates to fuel itself for exercise and things like that and then 30 percent or roughly a little bit less um for fats right and fats is really important for hormone regulation testosterone and those kinds of things now these numbers are going to vary a little bit depending on the person so something that's very sedentary might go a little bit more higher protein and a little bit lower carb because you know their energy demands on their body are a bit lower so someone that's a bit more active might have a bit less protein a little bit more carbohydrates so again there's a bit of context here, but I think that a good general rule is, hey, stick to whole single, single ingredient foods, make it primarily high protein, meat, fish, eggs, cut out the processed stuff, control your carbohydrates and control your calories. And that will get you results um, on a very generalist kind of uh, basis. So where do you stand as a trainer on the whole plant based boom? Yeah, so I personally am not a fan of the plant-based diet. Um, the reason being is I do think that there was a bit of a propaganda around the uh, the famous documentary on Netflix um, regarding it. And, and one of the things that I think has come out of it is that for a lot of people that are plant-based, and I have clients that are vegetarians and things like that, they lose a lot of the amino acids that come from meat. Right. And they unless they are actively trying to replace these through supplements and things like that, their body is not getting enough 
of the nutrients that it needs to perform at its best. So this is why people on the vegetarian diet, sometimes they look a bit like they've lost muscle or they can look a little bit unhealthy because they've lost like the amino acids that their body needs to build muscle and proteins and stuff like that. So I personally am not a fan of that is because for people that are not educated and they go straight into the vegan diet or vegetarian diet, they're losing out on all of these things. I think it's okay if you are, you know, making sure you supplement with the right right things. But unless you're doing it for a primarily ethical reason, like I, I don't want to eat meat because I don't believe in, in killing animals, I think that's a different argument. Whereas from a health point of view, I think a balanced diet and from the research that I've done and guys I've worked with is is, is the best approach. So like like you just said, like the oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, with like the misinformation campaign that's kind of going on with all that, there's so much like horse shit to sift through um, yeah. with getting the, the right information about what makes a good diet, especially around the plant-based stuff. You know, I see, like you just mentioned, the Netflix documentary, but so many people pushing for these plant-based diets saying you can get just the same amount of nutrition as if you would, uh, you would get from eating any meat, you know, uh, substitute your steak for beans or like kohlrabi it's great for you but i don't i don't see if that's is that true like can that even can you really replicate meats with vegetables i don't think so personally not with like supplementation of other things because you lose a lot of those amino acids that i mentioned so the the documentary had a lot of um gaps right and there was a lot of um misinformation in there that that came out uh, a good documentary or a good uh, podcast actually was um the joe rogan podcast where he actually kind of refutes a lot of the points on um the the documentary itself so um if anyone yeah wants more info definitely check that out because that's really eye-opening and gives kind of a non-biased view on things well so i'm convinced that those impossible burgers and all of that plant-based meat shit like five, 10 years down the road, we're going to find out that shit causes cancer, right? Mm. I mean, the exact same way that, and the only reason like we as a society, and I don't know what it was like in the UK for you, but I mean, in the US, like, and I only really became cognizant of this living in uh, Germany, uh, living in Europe for the last 10 years or so, like nobody in Europe drinks skim milk. They think you're an idiot. They think you're completely batshit crazy if you drink skim milk. They don't even sell it at most supermarkets here. And in America, I mean, I don't know what these actual statistic is, but I know as a kid, when I was growing up, we always drank skim milk because you got to stay away from the fat. The fat will make you fat. Well, we've learned over the last maybe 10 or 15 years, I guess, that's not the case. Fat, I mean, yeah, obviously, if you overconsume anything, it'll put weight on, right? But fats are good for you. Um, certain elements of it are actually very healthy for you. Um, it's actually the sugar. It's the high fructose corn syrup that is causing cancer. It's that shit that's killing you, right? And it turns out it was the sugar lobby back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that was literally paying the government for propaganda that was anti-fat and pro-sugar, pro, -sugar, pro uh, what now causes cancer. And I would not be the least bit surprised a few years down the road that we find out that this plant-based or, I mean, the lab-grown meat, I mean, I'm sorry, that shit is going to be unhealthy for you. I, I don't understand why we're, I mean, I get it from like a climate perspective because those people actually believe they're saving the climate by eating plant-based stuff and we got to kill the cows, I guess, right? Um, but I, I'm totally convinced that that shit's going to come out that it causes cancer at some point. Anything artificial like that, I just don't, I don't buy it. 
Yeah, definitely. You make a really good point because I think a lot of the stuff that you see being pushed now, it's really important to be very objective about what comes out because a lot of these companies, like you said, are incentivized from a financial point of view to to push certain things, right? Like when I look at something being pushed, I always think of incentives and whether that's, you know, the COVID-19 vaccine or whether that's, you know, food, there's always incentives behind certain things. And that's what I always try to look at. But I think for most people that are like, hey, look, they just watch the news. They don't deep dive into stuff. It's very difficult to actually question authority and be like, what is right? What is wrong? You're going to watch a documentary on Netflix and not think any different and just follow it as gospel. Whereas they maybe not see behind the scenes that actually people are pushing this for a certain agenda and things like that. So um, that's why I hope podcasts like this are useful. And I guess a lot of my message is trying to give no bullshit information to people so they actually make long-term healthy decisions with their body. So how do you sift through the bullshit, I guess, sort of what I was mentioning earlier, like you, there's so much misinformation out there with all these different, you know, even like podcasts can have be pushing a certain agenda, even like sure. nutritionists, if they're being supported by like, say, a, like a, what are they called? Like the, the drug providers, like for yeah. supplements or whatever, pushing a specific thing. How do you as a trainer sort of sift through this stuff because i mean you're you know you're a trainer it's hard to you can't like become a scientist overnight and really know like sure. how chemistry works with the body so you gotta i guess be more discerning about where you get your information so what do you do as a trainer yeah really good question so i think one of the first things that i did when i started out uh, in the fitness industry so a bit of background i uh, started going into the gym as an insecure 17 year old trying to build muscle around a, a lot of big rugby players and um i started making tons of mistakes so i went on all of these crash diets all of these fads and um, started injuring myself developed a really bad relationship with food all of this kind of stuff and i thought well the kind of mainstream advice or the you know conventional thinking around health is is not really working for me i said let's dive a bit deeper into this. So I actually started taking more of an evidence-based approach to started reading studies, started reading research around, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I guess after 10 years of kind of doing this myself and doing it with people, I've come to certain conclusions of, of things. So really looking at like what the science and like peer reviewed, like meta-analysis studies are saying, because this has actually been, you know, not just one study, it's multiple studies. It's really in-depth research that you can probably come to a conclusion and say, hey, look, this is, as close to the first principle as possible, close to the, the end result as as we think. So that's how I approached it. And I've followed guys that have taken the same approach um, online. Um, people like Lane Norton, who are very good. There's a few other guys in the space that are really pushing for evidence-based backed stuff. And that's how I've made my decision on, on certain things. Yeah, Pat brought up a good point that just really pisses me off, especially about the US. And I think it's slightly different in european countries but like the the food lobbies like the lobbyists for dairy farmers uh mm. like like meat even any anything basically trying to push their their product to keep their livelihood going just creating all this inf misinformation like around that fat uh sort of the fat boogeyman from the 90s with all these low fat no fat diets how the hell it, it i don't you know i'm not a huge believer in like governmental intervention in a lot of things but like how can we allow these companies to sort of push horse shit dude like i don't get it yeah dude it's even worse than that so like okay that was just like one example but i mean if you just look at like just look at the chicken industry as an example like over in europe it's a little bit more natural i think there's uh, higher standards of raising chickens, of slaughtering the chickens, of putting this into the food supply, right? Like 
now they say like, I mean, Tyson is, I guess, the biggest distributor of this. Like they're injecting God knows how many steroids, uh, how much protein or how much whatever chemical complex that ends up being horrible for us in the chicken, right? I mean, you probably remember when we were kids, I mean, how small were the chicken wings that you could get at like Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that? And now you go and they're freaking enormous, right? They're like chicken breasts with bones in them. Or like, yeah, exactly. Or like uh, kids are drinking milk and they're pumped. I mean, the cows are pumped full of hormones and you end up in situations where like, I mean, 10, 11, 12 year old girls, I mean, they're starting to go through puberty early just because of what's in the food supply. Even the, how about the total just dairy industry in general? Like is drinking milk even, should we even be drinking milk from, especially from another animal, but drinking milk after a certain age? Like I, I thought I, I think I read something about during like, it was like World War II or something. The U.S. was stockpiling like milk and dairy and ha- now have like an 8 billion pound surplus of cheese hidden in caves in the Midwest somewhere. So they're just trying to push dairy on people. And that's where you got the whole got milk like dairy campaign to try and start to alleviate some of those like major surpluses. And we're getting everybody to believe that, oh, milk, you know, make your bones stronger or whatever like stuff like that just sort of drives me crazy but i mean like is there any sort of scientific backing to to dairy being an integral part of your diet that we're even buying so much milk on a regular basis i mean i love milk don't get me wrong i love ice cream i love cereal i love uh you know milk stout that's beer i guess that doesn't count but (laughs) like all that stuff yeah, but like all that stuff, is there science to support you should be drinking milk in general for your bones, or can you get your calcium from other things? I don't even know. It's a really good point. I think with calcium, you, you can get it from milk, but like you said, the quality of milk does depend, and this is kind of, I guess, where the context comes in, where a lot of the milk and other things have kind of been, you know, stuff has been put into it that doesn't make it as healthy as it is i mean i am not a big proponent of milk uh like personally i just i actually don't like the taste but i make sure i supplement with calcium to ensure that i get enough calcium and you know there are other ways to to get calcium in your body as well i think you touched on a good point though matt that like um you know how do we trust these governments and how do we trust these institutions because i think like another big one is like breakfast right where people have said breakfast is the most important meal of the day and that came from kellogg's right the kellogg's are the people that sell the most cereal so you know it's kind of like well is it the most important middle of the day or do you just want to make fuck tons of money off of people buying your cereal it's probably every, last, every right? time i'm in london the english breakfast is far and away the most important i love english breakfast i love full english and irish breakfast with the bl- black and white pudding oh Amen, brother. <laughs> god now it, it, yeah. it's second it's second to a plate full of good old american bacon but the english breakfast is very up there <laughs> Yeah, the English breakfast is great. And there's actually a way you can do it like in, in a healthier way. So um, the good thing about the English breakfast is it does have a decent amount of protein. And it does have some eggs in it. But at most places you go to, it's going to be cooked in seed oils and very unhealthy kind of fats, which, which are shit for you. But um, most mornings, I actually do have kind of my own version of an English breakfast, which is like some healthy kind of chicken sausages with, uh, you know, some form of uh, organic eggs uh, included tomatoes um some baked beans and you know some some form of kind of like wholemeal bread and that's kind of a way to get my quick fix of an english breakfast uh cooked in kind of olive oil or one calorie spray which is much better for you um than you know the traditional english breakfast cooked in shit so there are always kind of like substitutes for certain things the same the same with pizza right thing though that i just learned right so you brought up uh, the seed oils like 
people have been cooking with seed oils, with sesame oil, peanut oil, all of that shit. I mean, as long as I remember, I mean, one of the most vivid memories I have from when I was a kid, uh, I mean, I went to a Catholic school. I think I was in kindergarten or first grade. And it was a big thing because we had Chick-fil-A day and it was the first Chick-fil-A day at the school. They brought in the chicken and everything. And there was young, well, one young kid. Uh, he was in my class. I was actually good friends with him at the time. And he ate the chicken and just ballooned like crazy, right? Because he was allergic to peanuts and we did not know. Nobody knew that, or I mean, I guess a lot of people knew, but the nuns certainly didn't know at the Catholic school that the chicken was cooked in peanut oil. And I mean, peanut oil and all this canola oil or whatever is just kind of a staple of cooking in any restaurant forever. And it's, I feel like it's only over the last year that we've actually started to learn, or at least I've started to learn, maybe I wasn't paying attention before, that seed oil is just fucking horrible for you. Like any time that you eat anything that is cooked in oil at a restaurant, you're literally just eating basically poison. It's horrible. It's completely true, Pat. And uh, one of the biggest eye-openers for me was reading a book called Deep Nutrition. So anyone that's really interested in nutrition and wants to get really good information on that, definitely check that book out. And it was really eye-opening because when that kind of came out, it kind of exposed a lot of the stuff that's been going on with with health and especially the way foods are cooked. And specifically with like seed oils, um, one of the biggest issues with kind of seed oils and vegetable oil is... Um, when you cook it, like the bonds of the polyunsaturated fatty acids, uh, they shift and they turn into something called trans fats, right? And basically what this does is this just causes oxidative stress and like wreaks havoc on your health, your brain health, your body, and things like that. So if you can, like my advice is always try and stick to, you know, olive, coconut oil, cooking butter, you know, this is going to be much better for you than kind of like these industrial kind of vegetable seed oils that you see around. So it's a very subtle switch that you can make, but it will have a big difference on your health long term. Where do you stand on avocado oil? Avocado oil? Um, That's a I'm thing. Not too sure. Yeah, yeah man. I've never I, tried it myself. So I uh, I started seeing a nutritionist because I found out my uh, company covered it through our healthcare back in September. I've lost about 40 pounds in the last six months just from switching diet. Like I don't really do nice. a lot of weight training. Pat, I was talking to Pat. I play a lot of ice hockey. But one of the things she recommended to me, she's basically the same thing you just said, like try to avoid like your canola oils, like all those types of oils. And she basically said, stick to olive oil, coconut oil. And then she mentioned avocado oil. Okay. So I didn't know if, if she was kind of being sponsored by the big avocado lobby down there from Mexico. <laughs> I mean, when I hear avocado oil, I'm just like picturing a whole bunch of hipsters like, oh, can you please cook my chicken in avocado oil? I, I, <laughs> I like it, man. Like I buy it. It tastes good. I don't exclusively use it. Like I mostly use olive oil, but I, I think it tastes good. I didn't know if it was um, if I was slowly killing myself again, though. So I just wanted to make sure I wasn't just <laughs> slowly ingesting arsenic into my bloodstream. I mean, if she's in the same boat as kind of having the olive oil and the uh, coconut oil, I guess that she's probably right about the avocado oil fitting into that that bracket. So uh, don't quote me on that. Uh, I'd have to actually look into it. But yeah, uh, if she says that, then I guess she knows what she's talking about. All right. This is I basically I asked Pat to have you on so I could just uh, fact check my nutritionist without her <laughs> knowing about it. Uh, Oliver's the fact checker. Yeah, another thing. <laughs> another thing she's been pushing really heavily is higher fiber. I think as like mm. as a country, the U.S. 
usually averages about nine to 10 grams of fiber a day where I've been reading dietary needs really around 25. How do you feel about like higher fiber foods as part of like a healthy diet? It's a really good point you put up there. Um, fiber is something I try and include with a lot of like my clients' diets and a, a higher fiber diet. So anywhere from sort of like 20 to 50 grams of fiber a day, depending on how many calories they're eating is, is really good. And the reason why fiber is important is going to help your kind of insides. It's going to reduce inflammation and help you kind of go to the toilet, um, you know, a lot easier, which is important for people, um, especially if they're kind of active and they, they want to lose weight. Another really important thing would be to include kind of fermented food so if you switch to actually sourdough bread that's actually it tastes fucking amazing but also it's fermented in the, yeah me too like with the with my eggs in the morning i sometimes have that and that's gonna because of the way it's fermented that's gonna help with digestion has tons of fiber in it and that's gonna basically improve kind of like the digestion of the, the food going into your body so that's great I'm also a big fan of like pre and probiotics because that actually really helps with gut health. So if you're somebody that struggles to go to the toilet, you get acid reflux and things like that, trying to get like a pre and probiotic drink or supplement each day um, can just really help with, again, that fluid and, you know, that that kind of transition of food going through your stomach into uh, the bathroom. So, yeah. I, I love fermented foods, man. I um. I'm sure like 90 other 90 percent of other mid to late 20s men over COVID, I started sourdough baking. So I started growing <laughs> my own yeast. Do you still make yeast. your own sausages? Uh, I make sausage from time to time. I don't do like the old like Italian style sausage, but I make like like Oliver was saying like chicken sausages. Uh, I make turkey meatballs for my son. So a lot of that type of nice. stuff. But the the bread, I got really into baking. I make my own sort of like multi-grain bread um, with all these different sorts of seeds and 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 nuts mixed in there. But this, the fermented stuff, the sourdough bread, I make my own fermented hot sauce where I'll grow my own like really hot peppers, put them in sort of like a brine, let them sit there for a few, couple weeks. And it makes like a really banging hot sauce that apparently is really rich in probiotics. So guys speaking my language right now i love some i love me some gut health yeah i love that matt i love it <laughs> that's like the one area that like i don't even i think oliver you might even be too afraid to bring that up with me considering how much <laughs> more than i like to drink and what i eat um but maybe something we'll address at another time so sure. I, I mean we're kind of getting close to the end here and i mean one of the things that really kind of stood out to me as a part of your program um is the emphasis on sleep. I wanted to touch on this quick because for instance, sure. um, I mean, one of my biggest investors, uh, he's a German entrepreneur. His name's Christian Angemeyer. I mean, he's been harking on how important sleep is for years. And I mean, I don't know, I guess I kind of come from like the business school of hard knocks coming from JP, PwC, working in private equity for a couple of years after that. Like for me, it's just perfectly natural to stay at the office until midnight, get home around one or two in the morning, uh, or get get home at one, fall asleep at two, wake up at seven, get a workout in, and then you're at the office again by 8.30, right? Um, that's just how I've lived my life up until quite literally this year. Um, and he's been saying for years, like, you need to sleep more. Um, you can see it in your eyes. I mean, I'm jet lagged right now. I just flew back from Europe. So that's why you can see the bags right here. But I mean, this is the first time in my life I'm actually putting an emphasis on trying to get seven to eight hours of sleep. Um, I mean, what are like, why? I mean, what are the benefits of this? I mean, why, why is this such an important thing? 
Yeah, great point, Pat. So I always say this to people, right? Like think of a scenario, right? So you skip a workout one day, kind of no biggie, right? Or maybe you have a bad day of eating, no problem. Have a bad night's sleep, like your whole day will be fucking ruined, right? Have you ever had those two to three hour days and you wake up and you feel terrible? So when we look at like sleep, nutrition and training, like it's a pyramid and what goes at the bottom of that pyramid and which is the foundation is your sleep. Because if you don't sleep well, you're more likely to skip the gym. You're not going to be able to lift properly. Your body's not going to recover and you're going to have way more cravings and you're going to end up eating shit. So when you think about it from a, a training and diet point of view, it's not great. But also as like a high level exec or an entrepreneur, your job is basically to make a few high quality decisions every single day, right? The stuff that really moves the needle in your business. And when you're sleeping better, there's tons of research to show that your cognitive performance is much higher. So you're probably going to make those decisions a lot better and with a lot less stress when you've slept a lot. So um, one of the big focuses of my program is getting my clients eight hours sleep as much as possible. And um, a big proponent of this has also been Jeff Bezos. Um, obviously, everybody knows who Jeff is. And he's like, he lives and breathes by eight hours of sleep a night because Dear he God, understands have you seen the like impact the that transition has. Bezos went through professionally? I mean, the pictures yeah, of him is this yeah. little squirrely nerd when he founds Amazon in the 90s compared to this 60 year old unbelievably jacked guy that could kick the shit out yeah. of me today like it's just wild um yeah it's it's crazy that when you see these entrepreneurs these ceos go through that transition absolutely man yeah for sure so if entrepreneurs you know it comes with the territory that sleep isn't always going to be the priority and especially if you're trying to build certain companies some kind of sleep does have to be sacrificed it's it's, it's part of the job but if you can get that extra half an hour that extra hour of sleep it is going to make a big difference to all of those things that i kind of mentioned do you have any miracle cures for jet lag because i was awake until like two <laughs> or three in the morning last night and my asshole cat woke me up at five this morning um <laughs> Uh, hey, I'm not supposed to be drinking the wine. Uh, no, actually. So uh, basically uh, the deal I made with Oliver was like, okay, fine. This bachelor party weekend is going to be a shit show. Um, the month between the party and the wedding, I'm just not going to touch alcohol whatsoever, which yeah, I did have a glass of wine on the plane. I mean, it was free. So I know. That's okay. I, I, I felt I mean, so one's bad. okay. I'm I'm just sitting there thinking, oh God, if only Oliver could see this, um, <laughs> he's going to disown me as a client. <laughs> um, no, perfect. Well, Oliver, I really appreciate the time. Thank you for your insights. I know everyone probably learned something today. Uh, it seems like Matt learned that his uh, uh, nutrition isn't an, an, or a nutritionist isn't a complete idiot. Um, hey, <laughs> I love my doctor. She's great. Uh, really appreciate it, guys. Hope you all have a good one. Thank you, Pat. Thanks, Pat.